Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Divorce Insight Podcast. Um, this week's topic is father's rights. I'm Heather Coleman. I'm an attorney here at Johnson Marquez Legal Group. And with me today is Zach Chapman. Hello. Uh, he's another attorney here at Johnson Marquez. Um, so, yeah, we're talking about father's rights today. Father's rights is something that we hear about a lot, whether it be, you know, an advertisement on the radio, maybe a billboard. Um, maybe you've been doing some research yourself about what your rights are as a father uh, in your custody case. So, Zach, in your experience, I mean, do you think father's rights, is this, is this something that's real? Is this a marketing ploy? What is it? Well, I mean, I think in generally, I mean, the, the, the phrase father's rights, and, you know, I'll certainly field some phone calls on father's rights, and, and that's kind of how they lead off and, and wanting to know exactly what father's rights really mean. And, I mean, really, that's kind of a somewhat of a loaded question. I mean, father's rights really are no different than a mother's rights. They're no different than a parent's rights. I mean, it's not called an allocation of father's responsibilities or mother's responsibilities. It's an allocation of parental responsibilities. Um, so, I mean, I think for the most part, it's an attention grabber. It's, it is a marketing ploy. And then I think it's rooted in the, the stereotype and, and the history that dads and fathers are going to get for lack of a better term, screwed if they go to court. So do you think historically maybe, um, you know, moms and dads did have different rights in custody cases? Well, I don't think that there was necessarily a different having of rights, but there was certainly back uh, in some courts, most courts today have moved away from the archaic view of the tender years doctrine. Um, But some old school judges, even though they don't specifically apply or cite the tender years doctrine, um, they do at least kind of have that backbone or, or um, biasness towards it. Right. So, um, and I, I would certainly agree that there's still some judges out there who, you know, unfortunately they are biased towards mom or dad. And we certainly run into judges that are uh, what we call mom friendly. Would you agree with that? Yeah. And I think that's kind of where we do run into that. Um, you know, and sometimes it's a judge um, you know, it's old school. Um, sometimes, you know, an older judge. Um, sometimes we run into issues where uh, maybe the judge's sex, um, being male or female, um, could impact things. I mean, I think there's a common misconception. But at, at some point in time, I, I mean, I've witnessed it myself. You know, you will run into some female judges being a little bit more female friendly. I think at the same point in time, you could run into some male judges who are maybe a little bit more male friendly. Right. Um, but really, what we're doing is we're talking about the old archaic view of the 10 years doctrine. The 10 years doctrine basically stated that there's, you know, for the first couple of years of a child's life, they termed it the quote unquote tender years. And during those quote unquote tender years, the child had to be with its mother. Um, you know, because the mother can care for it. The mother can nurture it. They're mothers. That's their, that's, I mean, it's almost the old, you know, it's, it's the, like the stay at home mom type of routine where it's the mother is the only person who can provide any sort of reasonable care for the child during those tender years. Right. And so even though this isn't um, a doctrine that judges are supposed to follow anymore, um, there is still a lot of focus on, if, especially if you're dealing with a younger child, who the child's primary parent is. And oftentimes, you know, mom's going to argue that that's mom and dad's never done anything and therefore dad should have no parenting time. So what do we do in situations like that? Well, I mean, it, it comes down to a lot of times he said, she said. Um, usually... When one parent does something for the child or does certain things for the child, um, you know, we, we hear it all the time. Well, I, I've done everything. They've done nothing. Um, you know, it, it, that oftentimes really 
isn't the case. Um, right. I mean, especially in like in a divorce case, more often than not, both parents have been involved in the child's life. Maybe due to scheduling, maybe due to job availability, um, or maybe due to whether one party was a stay-at-home parent, that parent has been able to do more. But you know, do we really root out a, a situation? You know, the, the old think of the old dichotomy of the of the old old family. You had a father who a father who worked who was the breadwinner, a mother who was a stay-at-home housewife um, with the kids, and naturally. She's going to do more with the child or the children. Does that mean the father moving forward should never see his children? I mean, I think most people would say absolutely not. Um, but that's kind of the bias that we have to overcome, or that's the um, you know the old school agenda that sometimes is maybe unsaid but can be present. Right. Um, so, so what do courts, you know, what are they actually required to look at when they're determining what parenting time should be? Well, we, we come back to some of the topic that we've talked about multiple times if you're a regular subscriber to this podcast, uh, the best interest standard. Uh, the best interest standard is um, what the courts are going to use in every single allocation of parental, parental responsibilities case um, or a divorce action which has children, which the divorce action which has children, although not technically called it, that part of it that deals with the children is an allocation of parental responsibilities. Um, so that's what they're going to look at. They're going to look at the best interest standard. There's 12 factors, I believe, with the best interest standard. Um, all those come into play. All those are going to be testified about directly or indirectly. Um, and yes, in, in that situation, yes, we do have the past pattern of involvement. That's one of the factors um, of the parents with the children. Right. Um, and I guess my advice there, because, you know, past pattern of involvement is something the courts have to look at. Um, so you really just need to... You know, think about your involvement in the children's lives and making sure that, you know, you are involved and that you stay involved. Um, you know, things like taking children to their doctor's appointments or going to, uh, you know, parent-teacher conferences, things like that. Those are, you know, really great ways to show the court that you are actively involved in your child's life. I mean, one of the common things we hear is, I mean, even if you can't go, but to be knowledgeable. I mean, knowledge, having knowledge, wherewithal about your children is being involved about your children. I mean, I can't tell you... How many times where, I mean, yeah, we, we hear oftentimes when, you know, well, at least we do in contested cases, well, well she took him to the doctor without my consent. Well, and that's, you know, sometimes that may be appropriate in an emergency situation or maybe, well, well, it had to be done, so we had to get it done. Um, and, you know, that's kind of can go here or there at times. But really when we go back down to it, we're starting to look at, if someone says, well, I'm involved with my child's life, but they don't know the doctor's name or the name of the kid's teachers. I mean, that kind of looks problematic. Mm -hmm. Um you know, it's it's tough. In, in my opinion, it's tough to say you're involved in your child's life when you don't know what's going on in your child's life. Yeah, and I don't know. You know, I can't even count how many times I've seen that. Um, you know, kind of a good way if you're really looking to uh, trip up the other parents is to ask them. You know, okay, well, what's the name of your child's dentist? You know, uh, what's the name of their first grade teacher? And if they don't know, that kind of uh, signals to the court that you know they've been a little less involved in the child's upbringing. Right. Hundred percent agree. Yeah. So, um, so bottom line is that I, I guess you know basically both mother and father have the same rights under you know under the best interest statute. It's just um, how the court's going to apply these uh, you know these these best interests and kind of determine um, you know what's best for the child, um, kind of based on you know who's been involved in raising the child. Um, so why don't we talk about child support? Um, do, do you think that fathers um, 
Yeah, I, I think a lot of the calls I get are fathers wondering if, you know, they're going to get quote-unquote hosed on child support. Um, so what generally happens there? You know, I think a, I think a lot of questions come from from fathers who call in wanting to know if they're going to get hosed in general, including in child support, including in rights. Um, and, I mean, really, once again, we go back to we're looking at the best interest standard for parenting time for decision-making. For child support, we don't differentiate um, whether there's – uh, a father, or, uh, whether I mean, obviously a father well, should be a father should be involved, but um, you know I guess there's certain aspects where there wouldn't be a male figure, but there probably is a father type figure. Um, but really, what we have to look at is what we always look at for child support. Nothing changes. Um, I mean, the same can be said for for the parenting time for the best interest. Center. Just you know, the sex of the parent doesn't necessarily change the rights or the way to go about things. And child support's no different. Um, when you're looking at child support, you're looking at the same factors that you look at in any other case. You're looking at the incomes of the parties. You're looking at the expenses for the children or child that the parties have. Who bears that expense? And you're looking at the number of overnights. Um, you know, maybe traditionally, and I, th- I think the um, women's rights movement would agree that there's a, a pay differential. So naturally, if a, if, if a father is making more than than the than the mother, and they have equal parenting time. Well, yeah, the father is going to be paying based on the way the situation works out, and the way the, the spreadsheet and the child support worksheet work out. Because um, that's where I mean the de- two de- biggest determining factors are the overnights, who has more, or if they're the same, then we once again we still go to the income, who makes more. If you make more, and you have the same or less parenting time, you're probably going to be paying child support. Right. So it's it's not like an automatic thing where you know. Hey, Dad, you're going to be paying child support. Um, you know, it is just based off of your guys' income, overnights, extra expenses, things like that, um, without taking into consideration, you know, oh, he's Dad, therefore he will pay child support. So, um, you know, it's nothing like that. Um, so what other thoughts do you kind of have on the overall topic of father's rights? What advice would you give to, you know, fathers who are finding themselves in a situation where they might be looking at a, a contested custody battle? You know, I, I personally don't think that my advice changes, once again, whether it's a father or a mother, on how to proceed. The only time it ever, I think, probably really comes into play um, is when we're talking a very young child, you know, less than a year, especially if, if mother's still breastfeeding. I mean, that's one of those things that clearly a father cannot do that, um, especially if it's breastfeeding and a mother refuses to pump. I mean, we run into circumstances where that happens quite a bit, I would say, um, and more often than not, at least from my experience, and you could tell me if yours is different, but a court's not going to tell a mother they cannot breastfeed so that the father can have parenting time. And at the same point in time, the court usually is not going to tell a mother that they have to pump um, to enable the father to have the parenting right. time. Um, and so that's kind of where it changes a little bit from what we do and what we tell a client or a potential client about how best to proceed. Um, but for the most part, I mean, once again, we're back to talking about a parent's rights. Not a father's rights, not a mother's rights, but a parent's rights. Um, you know, neither parent, contrary to popular belief, is has subservient rights to the other, other parent. I mean, I think that's more often than not. We probably tell people, at least I do, that even if you're unsure about what's going to happen, it's probably best to file. I mean, because really, we've all had that question. We've all had the question on the call where someone calls in and says, well, we don't, we've never been to court. We were exercising that situation where he just came every other weekend, but now he's got the children or child, and he won't give the children or child back. What can I do? Well, the answer is nothing other than file. Um, 
you know, because neither parent has subservient rights. I mean, that's the best example of what we can say to show that there isn't really a father's rights or a mother's rights. Because if there is no court order and the child's with the parent, more often than not, the police are, if the police get involved, are going to tell the parties, I cannot force the other parent to give the child up. Um, this is, you have to file something in court. And so that's oftentimes I think we tell people, if you think something might happen, it's best to file and get a court ordered parenting time schedule based on the way things are now, rather than dealing with it when you don't have a court order and an issue later. Right. Um, and I guess my advice would be, you know, whether you are a mother or a father, um, just finding an attorney that's going to advocate for you, um, you as an individual, whether you are a mother or father. Um, and if you are a father listening out there and you're looking for an attorney, you're going to want somebody that's going to represent you as the father of your children um, and isn't going to try to, you know, play on these father's rights or even mother's rights uh, kind of gimmicks. But they're, you know, they're just going to focus on you as the client advocating for you and your child's best interests, um, leaving kind of the the uh, myth of father's rights and mother's rights behind. Um, all right, well, that's our, that's our podcast for the week, Father's Rights. Um, tune in next week uh, for another topic, and uh, we will see you then. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for listening to this week's Divorce Insight Podcast. To get a copy of our free ebook, An Introduction to Divorce, click on the link below in the show's notes. Please contact our office for a free consultation. We're available to help you with any issue related to family law and divorce. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you stop by again soon. As a final note, please be advised that the information in this podcast is for general informational purposes only. Nothing in this podcast may be taken as legal advice for any individual case or situation. Please retain a lawyer for legal advice. This information is not intended to create and receipt of or listening to this podcast does not constitute an attorney-client relationship.